It might sound like an exaggeration, but being strong, both mentally and physically, just might save your life someday. In today's episode, you'll hear my interview with training and nutrition client Clayton Reynolds. He gives us the firsthand account of how he ended up in a real-life, life-or-death situation when a skydiving mission went horribly wrong. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Digital Barbell Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with a clear path to health and fitness through education, coaching, and accountability. We are your hosts, Jonathan and Blakely Fletcher, and we are here to serve you. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star review so that we can reach more people. You can find us daily on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell. Now, let's get to today's topic. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 184 of the Digital Barbell Podcast. Thanks, as always, for being here. Thank you for your five-star ratings and your reviews. Like I said in the intro, we've got a pretty fantastic interview for you today. Um, Yeah, this thing is just, it's pretty unbelievable, but I'm really glad that we were able to get Clayton on to share his story with you. You remember when this went down back in August? Mm-hmm. It's pretty freaking scary mm-hmm. <laughs> getting that message from him. But yeah, so definitely stay tuned for this episode. You might want to listen to it in like one and a quarter speed because we talked for like an hour and a half. He went into some pretty good details. Um, you guys have been missing Blakely on the yeah. podcast because she's been sick for like what seems like a year. Still every once in a while she breaks out into a cough, but I think I have like 75% of my regular voice back maybe. So it's good to be back yeah, at least a little bit. Maybe we could like get you roped into like, um, voiceover work for maybe like cold commercials yeah. or like sultry kind of stuff where they need I, that raspy voice. I have a history of losing my voice very easily. Like yeah. even when we worked at Foot Locker, if it was like a long day during like Christmas holidays, I would lose my voice every night. So it doesn't take much. You might think that like when I get sick, her reaction is to be sympathetic, but she actually gets really mad when I'm sick because she knows if she gets it, she's going to like, it's going to drag on. This was not your fault though. This was definitely, this was still ACL's fault. Dust. (laughs) Just lingering on. A quick announcement before we get into the interview, registration is open. Just a reminder that registration is always open Mm -hmm. for our two eight-week workout programs, Muscle Makeover and Full Body Remodel, but we start a new group of 10 each the first Monday of every month. 10 people each group. Right. That's what I meant. Um, And we're leading up to the first Monday of November. Yeah. November 7th, we kick off this next group. Yeah. So it's a great way to just jump into a program. If you're, if you're like on the fence about like, what is it like to work with a coach online or anything like that? This, this is a great way to like get in because you get a program to follow, but then you get a coach to help you guide you through that program to make sure that you're moving effectively, efficiently, making the most of this eight weeks. There's nothing worse than like starting a workout program, getting two months in and being like, wow, I didn't make any progress. You know, Mm -hmm. that could be like the program or that could be like, because you didn't have anybody like looking over your shoulder being like, Hey, you could push harder or, you know, you do it this way and it's more effective. So that's really the beauty of these, of these programs. I think I've talked about this before, but I think one of the main benefits of doing one of these programs with us is 
how often we see this be not only like a time where people get really good results, mm-hmm. but really like the first chapter of something that yeah. they truly see as a sustainable way for them to work yeah, out for like the rest of their life. Like a launching point. Right. Yeah. We actually just had a guy write in like just a, like amazing, like three paragraph review. And it kind of like was that same in that same vein of just like he kind of would find himself, you know, falling out of things after like four to six weeks. And, and he said he like has you know, basically like found this longevity in his, in his new like workout lifestyle. He just finished FBR and now he's going to do muscle Muscle makeover. makeover. So why don't you just tell everybody real quick, kind of what the difference between the programs is and maybe who each is suitable for. Cause I think a lot of people like hear them and they're not really sure which one is right for them. So they just don't sign up for either. Yeah. Full body remodel is really for anybody. It can be beginners working with dumbbells. It can be advanced people working with barbells and it is a full body workout program. We're going to hit the strength we're going to hit your accessories, your bodybuilding, and then we're going to hit some conditioning. And it's mm-hmm. a five day a week program written, but I give you notes in the beginning where if, if like, if your schedule needs it, you can do this and get effective results in three or four days a week as well. And the fact and then, that you just said like, it can be for a beginner or somebody who has been doing like CrossFit for five years yeah. means that you give scaling options mm-hmm. for everything. And right. you ha- like you said, you have a coach looking over your shoulder to right. tell you and guide you. That really the is the beauty of things like CrossFit and what we, and what we do is that like the, like an advanced person and a beginner can all do the same things and you know, they're doing the same workout, but it can be scaled to meet them where they are. Yeah. All That's this really is relative. I've always loved about where, you know, what we do and what and CrossFit gives, mm-hmm. um, well, muscle makeover. Hold on before you go oh, to yeah. that one. Like, so <clears throat> if somebody has done something like CrossFit before, like what are they, what are they going to get out of this program that they haven't got out of their group classes before? Cause that's really like yeah. the digital barbell secret sauce. Secret Cause we have experience with, with all the things that we just mentioned, strength training, bodybuilding, CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get those pieces of CrossFit, but you're not going to get them every day. You're going to get additional strength building exercises along with the accessory building exercises, which the strength is going to help you like build and maintain your strength. And then the accessory is going to help you see those muscles that you're building and also help you be like more resilient, injury proof. Mm -hmm. So instead of just doing CrossFit five to five times a week, we're going to hit you know, we're hit conditioning two to three times a week and the rest of the time we're going to be working on your strength and your accessory movements. And but I make it fun. So I like push like, you know, do like mashups of some of the accessory movements. So you might do like giant sets of like two or two to four movements and it makes it interesting. Like every day is different. Yep. You know, you're going to, you're going to see your, you're going to see your progress in the main lifts, but every single day of this eight week program is different. And I think that's what people keeps people coming back for more. Yeah. You're going to tr- do some different exercises you've never done before <clears throat> probably. Yeah. And every day will be like a fresh, fresh workout for you. Yeah. Not the okay, same so thing over and over. Move on to muscle makeover then. What the heck is muscle, muscle makeover? Muscle makeover is for those who already have some barbell experience. Um, this is a barbell only program and it is just to build strength. So there is no conditioning. It's a four day a week, pure strength program. We're going to hit those main lifts. I mean, you're going to be squatting twice a week in this thing. So if you're going to sign up for muscle makeover, get ready, get ready to get some legs. <laughs> you could easily put 50 pounds on your squat during yeah. this eight weeks. So we're going to take you through a linear progression in the squat, the press, the deadlift and the bench press. Um, and then as well as we're going to hit some of those accessory movements to make, um, muscles bigger, muscles, more injury resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there, um, there's a lot of exercises that give you the option to use some of the other machines you see yeah. in gyms too. Yeah. This is perfect makeover. for someone's working out in like a, a gym with like pulley machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, there's options to do it at home mm-hmm. also. Yeah. 
So yeah, those are the two things. And like you said, you need some barbell experience mm-hmm. to do muscle makeover. Yeah, we don't want someone going in that like wants to start fresh from I've never used a barbell before in this program. You won't get enough out of it and you know, we'd like you to like go get on with like some one-on-one coaching to learn how to properly squat and press and bench press before you would jump into this. Yeah. And like let's say, you know, you're going to be traveling a lot over yeah. the next couple months. Um you know, we can help you adjust these for travel workouts, but yeah. like we have talked about in some of the nutrition related episodes recently, you know, this is a time of year where you're not actively trying to lose fat because calories are abundant mm-hmm. and so are social situations and stuff. This is a great time to focus on your strength yeah. over the next eight, next eight weeks, right. put those calories to use. And then, you know, when it comes January again, let's focus on losing some fat and maybe we ramp up the conditioning a little bit. I know it is a hard time of year, like where people think like, Oh, I'm not going to start anything in November because it's like, you know, it takes me through November, December, and I'll just start fresh in January. I mean, honestly, there's no better time to start. Just like you said, just because of the pure additional calories people will be eating, but also just like get, get two months ahead of that game of everybody's like new year's resolutions. Just think of how good you'll feel and where you'll be. If in two months you've already started something, you've finished something actually. And you're like, okay, moving on to the next thing. You're not like, okay, what's my new year's resolution? Let me get some goals. I want to, you know, if you think you're going to miss three or four workouts during an eight no week, problem. who cares? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> that's the thing that's holding you back is that all or nothing mentality. Like yeah. if, if I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly, then what's the and, use and in trying? And this can be done. We see it done every day with our clients. This can be done in like hotel gyms. Mm-hmm. It can be done. We can give you some band ideas for, yeah. for three days. If you're you know traveling and all you're going to have is your suitcase and you have nothing else bands. I mean, this can be done anywhere. Yep. But guess what? Both of them. You got to want it. Yeah, you got to want it. You got to want it. (laughs) All right. So um, when do they start? Monday, November the 7th. That's right. So last day to sign up is the Sunday before. Yeah. And you also have a chance as a member of either program to go through our four-week nutrition remodel at half price. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a... a self-guided nutrition program that I wrote based on experience coaching people one-on-one with nutrition. It is chock full of the sustainable steps that most people need to take when they're stepping into trying to clean up their nutrition. Yeah. Coupled with um, those actionable steps, coupled with tons of education mm-hmm. and addressing the common mindset issues that come with trying to make changes to your nutrition. Because yeah. at the root of that really is behavior change, and nobody makes behavior change without getting into some of the psychological issues that creep in. So okay. all that is addressed. Okay, let's talk about something fun real quick before okay. we get into the interview. Okay. So a lot of times you have like these heroes in your life. You're like, okay, maybe you I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a football player. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> somebody you've just like been like this this is the mecca of the person i'd love to see i got to see that person this weekend at the rogue invitational i got to finally see rich froning work out live in person right there in front of me it was yeah. amazing we had amazing yeah. seats right down in front right across where all the athletes were walking yeah. onto the field yeah, it was cool to see all the athletes but that's that's the one person i've never seen in person well, you know because so. last year when we went he left the day before yeah <laughs> womp womp yeah. So it was cool. Anyway. Yeah. If you don't know who Rich Froning is, he's like the CrossFit goat. Yeah. Um, won like maybe four in a row back in his four heyday. Four in a row before. individual and then like a million on the teams. And now he just retired and is going to go masters. It's just, yeah. He's also he's building my- a CrossFit empire, empire out in Cookville, Tennessee. <laughs> I think he's just nice. CrossFit seems mayhem. Like a, seems like a good guy. I always yeah. root for him. So. He's a good guy. All right. 
enough announcements. Right. Oh, well, let's tell people how to join <laughs> if they want to join one of the programs. Just go to Digital Barbell. Go to digitalbarbell.com slash join and you can yeah. read more about Muscle Makeover and Full Body Remodel and join right there. Both programs are $247 for all eight weeks. It will 100% be the best money you spend mm-hmm. on yourself all year, I promise. All right, that's enough selling. I hate doing it, but we had to let everybody know. Let's get into this interview with Clayton Reynolds. One minute you're living your best life, you're getting stronger and healthier, you're booking photo gigs in amazing locations, enjoying once-in-a-lifetime adventures with friends, and then in the blink of an eye, everything goes terribly wrong, and you're literally in a life-or-death situation that really could go either way. This is not the script of a new reality show, it is the true story of our client, Clayton Reynolds. Thanks for being here, Clayton. I uh, I don't think it's an understatement to say that we are lucky to even get to do this interview, man. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, really glad to be here, and uh, you definitely played a played a major role in the reason I'm still here. So so thank you. <laughs> Well, uh, so before we actually get into the story that I just teased about, I want to kind of just set the stage for our listeners. Um, you and I met back in January of 22, 2022. Yeah, yeah. You reached out for when you reached out for coaching. I remember the conversation we had on the phone before you signed up really well. Um, can you kind of tell everybody how you found us and really what made you decide to reach out in the first place? Yeah. So I actually found you guys through a friend, um, I'm a a wedding photographer and uh, it's really hard to to keep good eating and sleeping habits when you work like a 16 hour wedding day. So I was working a wedding with my friend Marshall uh, Boneskowicz, who's also a digital barbell client. And uh, during COVID, he lost a ton of weight and he just looked great. He was stronger, he was happier, he was healthier. And I was saying, you know, how are you managing this in the midst of, you know, wedding season? He said, oh, I I found this great online coach. Uh, And I asked him on that day to give me your guys' info. And I think I gave you guys a call. I think that was like a Saturday. And I think I gave gave you guys a call on like that Monday. And I was like, so here's what I can bring to the table. I can bring terrible time blocking and super unconventional hours and the ability to not eat consistently. Like, what what can you do for me? Uh, And it's been great, honestly. (laughs) What did you, uh, you know, how are you kind of feeling about your health at that point? Um, you know, I think like everyone, I was feeling weird. I think, you know, being in COVID, uh, I'm up in New Jersey, so we had a couple different stages of lockdown. Um, so like the first lockdown, I ran a lot because there was nothing to do and I was feeling really good. And the second lockdown, I just sat around and watched TV and I was feeling terrible. Uh, so my body had just been like in really high highs and really low lows and I just wasn't feeling uh obviously i wasn't thrilled about my body changes but i was less bothered by the weight and more just in my quality of life like my my strength my energy my fatigue um especially on a long wedding day when you're hauling cameras around all day uh it's a lot on your body and i just felt like it it was impacting my ability to perform for my clients so i definitely wanted to change and uh I, I tried a couple different programs and a couple different online coaching things uh, that that were really focused on uh, what I feel like were superficial results and weren't at all like lasting lifestyle changes. Uh, so it was it was really a bummer for me, uh, and I was a little wary about online coaching. But you know, I had a personal referral, and I said, you know, maybe this is worth checking out. <laughs> 
I don't think a lot of people realize that those cameras that you guys use and the lenses that are attached to them, some of those can weigh up to like 10 pounds a piece. And oftentimes you're carrying two at a time plus any other gear that you have on you. Yeah. Yeah. Once you throw the big lenses on and the flashes on, it's uh you're carrying quite a big rig uh, for a long time. So uh, <laughs> there's a couple funny TikToks yeah. about like wedding photographers in the gym, like curling their cameras instead of weights. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, so we got you in the gym pretty quickly um, after you signed up. Were you nervous during those days and kind of like how, what were those first days in the gym like? Um, it, was, it was definitely a wake-up call um, because, you know, day by day, you're like, oh, you know, I didn't exercise there. I didn't go for a run. And, you know, a week goes by, two weeks go by. And you're like, I probably didn't slide back that much. Uh, and once I started moving my body again, I was like, oh, you know, I am not at the baseline that I thought I was. But it felt really good. It felt really refreshing. Um, and, and you pushed me in a way that was really helpful, but also really caring. Uh, and I grew up like I played organized sports. So I've always loved the dynamic of like coach to athlete. Um, so it felt really uh, good to kind of have someone on my case and, and get on me about, you know, hey, you're saying you're doing this, but you, you didn't actually send me any pictures in the gym. Are you actually getting there? And I was like, no, I'm sitting in bed. Uh, so, you know, that that was good. It, it, was a, it was a wake up call, but it was one that I needed. Yeah. You so you built strength rapidly in the beginning, I remember. And um, I'm just kind of curious, like we're always touting the benefits of doing hard things in the gym, both for the carryover to your regular life, but also in the mental side of things. Did you start to see any changes um, in your confidence and how that carried over to your job and your relationship with friends and family? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it gave me a lot more just sense of direction in terms of going out because prior to understanding kind of what the nutrients my body needed um i would just kind of be like well i'm either going to get a salad or i'm just going to order everything on the menu because i don't know what to do uh and it gave me a lot more flexibility in going out and not feeling guilty because i would just order whatever and eat whatever before and i would feel guilty about it and i was so surprised when i first started at like the amount of you know, quote unquote, junk food. I, I mean, I was having uh, ice cream. We built uh, whiskeys into my meal plan because I'm, I'm a whiskey drinker. Uh, and I remember you're the first coach I'd ever talked to. He was like, right, yeah, so like, what do you like to have on weekends? And I was like, no one's ever asked me that. So it felt really sustainable. Um, mental health was a lot better. Sleep, quality of sleep was huge just because I was, I was exhausted after some of those workouts. I'd just fall into bed and that was it. But I couldn't wait to wake up and get at it again. Um, Friendships were definitely improved. I made a lot of friends in the gym uh, just because I, I started going consistently and I have my own little community there. Um, and yeah, it was, it was cool. It gave me like a point of contact for people. So, I'd be like, hey, you know, we could go do this. I actually uh, had a couple, like I, I got my girlfriend involved and we do double dates in the gym. And, you know, it, it was a, a large pillar of my social life, as odd enough as it was, that just prior to January <laughs> just hadn't existed. And I didn't even realize it was missing. But now that, when I couldn't go, I was really missing it. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing that. I think people don't really think about that when they start a fitness program is that it, it might have a big social carryover. Actually, like sometimes, you know, the, the phone, oh, yeah, the photos sure. that pop up on your phone from previous years, like a picture popped up from, um, Blakely's gym when she owned it. And it was a gr group of like 20, 30 people. And we started looking through there and we're like, Oh, those people are married. Now those people are dating. Those people are married. Now <laughs> it's like, you never know what's going to happen yeah. when you, uh, 
get involved in a fitness program. You mentioned the word consistency. Um, you know, like most people, I'm not always motivated to walk 30 feet behind me and go to the gym, um, to work out, but I do nine times out of 10. And I remember you sent me a, a message in true coach one day that I, I still remember it's, you said the very last thing I want to do right now is work out, but here I am <laughs> discipline over, over motivation. That was your quote. So what, what, what is the secret to executing? Cause I think it's something everybody struggles with consistency. Oh, I was just, yeah. you just let came me back. You cut out for a second. So okay. I think for, for me, the, the consistency, uh, the discipline really came from within. And I think that was big because all, all my prior training, all my prior coaches I had just whenever I tried to go it on my own, uh, I tried to look, you know, like, Oh, they are going to judge me if I don't go or, you know, X, Y, or Z external factors. Um, but I kind of just had to square up with myself and say, you know, are we committed to, you know, getting better and getting healthier and building healthy lifestyle changes? Uh, yes. And then the other thing I framed it was when I'm done, how good am I going to feel versus how much can it really suck for like 90 minutes? You know, like most things are, mm -hmm. are doable for a little bit of time. Like I've, I've sat through some really boring college lectures and I wanted to do anything else but be there. But I'm like, you know, it's, it's an hour. I could do this. Um, I tried to apply that same logic to some of the training programs you gave me on days I didn't want to go. Um, and then when, when push came to shove, sometimes I just had to, to fudge it a little. So, you know, I'd look at my, my program for the day and I'm like, yeah, there's no way, uh, you know, deadlifts are happening today. But I'd look ahead and I'd say, OK, you know, I'll do Thursdays today and tomorrow, you know, when yeah. I have better sleep and I'm better head says, I'll tackle the really hard day, which, you know, isn't great. But I figured getting there and doing it even in the wrong order is better than not doing it. And that's something you you talk about a lot, even in, you know, my videos to you and in my form critiques when I, you know, I'd be saying, you know, this doesn't, I'm not doing this right or X, Y, or Z and I'd be down on myself. You say, you know, you can't strive for perfection every time because it's not attainable. Just getting out there and doing the work is eight tenths of the battle. Uh, so mm -hmm. that, that was really nice because having, having a coach who would echo that back to me meant a lot because I'm like, all right, so maybe, you know, I don't have the mental fortitude to tackle a leg day today, but I can get there. And I'll warm up and then I'll either decide, you know, I do feel like doing it or I, I do, you know, the next day's programming and it, it all balance out. So, you know, mm -hmm. that that was great. And I think the flexibility in the training was super huge as well. Like there's some there's a period where I wasn't hitting my step goals for a couple of weeks. And you're like, you know, why aren't you walking? And I was like, well, it's February in New Jersey. You're in Texas. And you're like, oh, all right. So what can we do to switch that? You know, like. Uh, I was like, I don't want to be outside right now. It's it's freezing. <laughs> um, and you like yeah. didn't miss a beat. You would say, okay, you know, how how can we get those reps in another day? You know, do we want to do higher interval cardio a couple times a week instead of smaller interval every day or whatever? And and you kind of met me where I was. Uh, and sometimes you, you'd be like, you know, this one's not negotiable. And you know, when it wasn't, I I needed it, but Suck it, it up. that helped. That helped a lot to. <laughs> Yeah. And then also just like, you know, the, the apps that we use, True Coach um, and MyFitnessPal, you know, getting the little streaks, you know, it gives yourself a little serotonin boost. Uh, and I just felt good after workouts. You know, even if I was exhausted, I was like, all right, I got the hardest thing done today. So what do I have to go do? Like edit photos? You know, like I can't be worse than, you know, a bunch of RDLs. So, so you know, now my day is a cakewalk from here on out.
I think you brought up a couple of important things there that I want people to really hear that, um, the thing that we say a lot, just that something really is better than doing nothing. Uh, that's an important thing people get hung up on because of our, you know, binary thinking where it has to be all or nothing. Um, and balancing that with excuse making, cause that doesn't work either. But, and then also, um, you know, having a, having the ability to look past the uncomfortable potential of what's about to happen for a future reward. Like, yes, I might have to go through something uncomfortable for the next hour of my life, but the, I, I know I'm able to step outside of that and look forward and know that there's going to be a positive thing at the end of it. A lot of people, they never get to that point. They stop at the, this is going to be hard and they never get the, that loop reward of, of finishing the thing and building self-efficacy in themselves and knowing that they can do it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, I'd, I'd like to say it was all me, but it wasn't. <laughs> well, you did, you did all the reps, man. I got to give you credit for that. We have to get into, um, the story of that day. I believe it was August 19th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one last thing before we do though, how are you feeling about your strength and fitness before that day? Like if, if nothing was going to happen the following day, how are you feeling about where you were at physically? Uh, really, really good. Um, you know, we were, I was, I was just finishing up the height of summer wedding season. So really long, really hot days. Uh, and I actually, I remember really well the, the day before that. So I, my injury was on a Friday and on that Thursday, I just really didn't want to do anything because I was supposed to go up to the event that I was going to on Friday on Thursday. So I woke up real early. I hopped in the car, started driving two hours away. And then they called me and said, you know, oh, you can't come up today. So I was just feeling really defeated. And I said, you know, don't let today be a total loss. I'd already cleared my work day. So I said, let's go to the gym. And and I went to the gym that Thursday. I just remember not wanting to be there, pretty disappointed. I'd spent all this money and it was had gotten rescheduled for like the, I think, fourth or fifth time in a row. Uh, and I was just pissed off. Uh, and I had a great lift in the gym. And I remember I took some photos. And I was like, I look good. Like, you know, I, I feel good. My body's moving good. Um, and it's the best feeling when I when I look at something really hard on the programming where we've ramped up the reps or ramped up the weight uh, or ramped up the intensity, and then I do it and it's moving much nicer than I thought it would move. That's like such a such a good feeling that I think people who who haven't built up that consistency and are still in the uncomfortable phase like haven't felt that rush yet because like eventually it won't suck as much as it does, uh, and then you'll find new things that are just as hard, but. Uh, I felt so good and I went to bed, you know, exhausted that day. And I was like, you know, we'll just try again tomorrow. Uh, and then, you know, I, I woke up and I, I had my injury day, but, uh, I was feeling really good. And I was, I think we'd actually just had a check-in where we were about to change my calories and, and change my programming a little. And we were just either had just started or we're just about to start kind of a new cycle. And I was just really eager and looking forward to see what, what the next three months would bring me. Yep. Me too. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> then let's get, let's get into that Friday then get, uh, tell everybody, we haven't even told anybody like the general picture. Tell us what you were up to that day and just walk us through that day. And I will interrupt you frequently. I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I had, uh, I was going that day for the first of my graded um, solo skydiving attempts uh, to get my skydiving certificate. Uh, it's something I've wanted for 
since 2019 uh, and you need to complete tandem jumps, you know, tied to an instructor before you're eligible to start training for your solos. So I applied to do it uh, and they closed during the winter because it's New Jersey and you don't want to be falling through the sky when it's winter time. Uh, so then, you know, when they opened again in spring of 2020, COVID happened and they couldn't run, they still ran all the solo trips, but they couldn't run any new students for tandems because you couldn't be that close to the instructor. Um, so I had to wait, I just waited like 18 months and then, and then beginning or end of spring 2022, I went and I did my three prerequisite tandem jumps. And then, you know, I think it was July, I took a, you know, like a 16 hour ground school class and we went over, you know, safety, how to pack parachutes, all that stuff. And then I tried a bunch of times to schedule my solo jump, but the threshold for uh, what you can jump in, like wind conditions, you know, let's say it's like here at like a seven. If you're a student, they drop it down to be like a three. Um, so technically other people are jumping, but they want you to be in really easy, you know, cushy conditions. And they kept having me scheduled and then they called me and said, you know, we're, we're only putting up licensed people today. The wind picked up or whatever. So that Thursday I was supposed to go. They called me on the way up and it's like a two hour drive away from me. They canceled me. So I went to the gym, blah, blah, blah. So Friday I woke up, hopped in the car, uh, got like an hour away there and called them to confirm like, yeah, you know, winds look good. You can head on up. So I went up. I got fitted. I, I was talking to a couple of my buddies at the jump zone because I'd been up so many times and gotten canceled out. Um, and I got fitted for my shoot. So the way your solo jumps work is you go out of the plane alone, like no one's attached to you. An instructor jumps with you and will kind of evaluate you and grade you in the sky. So there's, I mean, you can't talk, there's hand signals. Uh, and there's certain uh they're called like jump flows that you have to do so like you know level one certain steps a turn you know level seven's like a flip and and all the way through there so you have to do 10 levels before you can get your certificate uh so i was going for my first solo level one which if i passed you know i'd go to level two and then within the week i would have had my certificate you could if you pass all your jumps you could do about three a day um you know sharing the plane and get, getting down and back up and i was actually um, and I remember I had to pee really bad and I was waiting for the plane. I was thinking, uh, they only have so many parachute weight classes and there's another student waiting to go. And I was thinking, maybe I just give him my, my rig and I go to the bathroom and I wait, you know, another 30 minutes for the plane to come around again. Uh, and they called me and I was like, you know what, you know, I'll just go, I'll just go. I want to get this over with. I'll just go. And I was like, how long could this take? You know, I'll just pee when I land. Uh, <laughs> and then, so, uh, you know, we head up for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, climb to about 14,500 feet. Um, and then, you know, the door opens and people start going out. Uh, and then there was actually some, some random clouds we went through. So when, when my instructor looked down, you couldn't see the jump zone. So he told the plane to go for another loop. So me and two other people had to ride one more circuit around. Um, so he just turned a big circle. We went back over the jump zone. We, you know, we missed the clouds and he said, you know, it's, it's clear to go. So, uh, the hardest part I think about skydiving solos is, uh, you have to throw yourself out of the plane. Like when you're tandem, the instructor just kind of rolls you out. But when you're solo, you have to walk up to the plane door and jump out and, you know, my nerves were rattling and, you know, you're, you're holding on and half your head's inside the plane, half your head's outside the plane, your outside leg is outside the plane. There's like a little step bar on the side of this plane. 
So half my body's out in space and half my body's in the plane. And I look at my instructor, I'm like, you know, everything looks good. He's like, yeah. And he's like, just, you know, throw yourself out now. And I remember that second, I'm like, man, this is scary. Like, which is kind of why I liked it. But it, it's a, it goes against every instinct in your body to like hang out of a plane and be like, no, we're going to do this. And your brain's like, no, we're not. And you're like, no, we are. <laughs> so I jumped out of the plane and immediately I just caught, they call it like dirty wind, but the, the wind coming over the plane is not smooth because it's being you know cut up by the plane going through the air so it makes little uneven air pockets so it's kind of like a ping pong ball machine so unfortunately i i caught some of that so i just started spinning uh you know falling through the air which isn't great but it's not you know terrible it's not a life or death thing because you've got you know fourteen thousand feet to go so you just stabilize yourself quickly uh and I remember just trying to stabilize myself. My instructor was there and he was kind of helping me get my hands in position, pull my arms. Uh, and there's a couple steps you're supposed to go through, uh, you know, like practice finding your parachute, practice pulling it, check how high you are. Uh, you have like a wrist altimeter, uh, which, which is important. Uh, and I was kind of going through the steps, but it felt slow. And then I caught another bad turn and I started spinning and he, he righted me again. I remember thinking to myself, like, this is not, I'm not moving through the steps as fast as I should. I'm probably going to have to repeat this jump. And I was frustrated because I wanted to pass. And it's like a hundred you know, bucks every time you go up, whether you pass or fail. So I was like, that's annoying. Uh, uh, and I remember I had, I had stopped checking my altimeter and I, I had one more, you know, practice flow to go through. You're supposed to do it three times. And he was kind of like, ah, oh, we're getting close to the level. I feel like if you start going through that flow, will be below the threshold we want to pull at. He's like, just skip it. And I was like, are you sure? Like I'd started to do, he's like, no, no, just skip it. And I mean, granted all this was via hand signals cause you can't talk. The wind's just roaring past your ears. It's like mm -hmm. you're inside a washing machine. Um, and I remember just being really frustrated. So like my hand was back here and he's like, no. And he just pulled my chute for me. He's like, cause I wasn't getting, we were kind of going back and forth about whether or not I should do it or shouldn't. And all of the while we're doing this, you know, we're falling out of the sky. And when you're in you're free fall, the ground. <laughs> yeah. So when you're in free fall in a skydiving rig, you fall about 5,000 feet every four and a half, five seconds. Um, so it's not the most ideal conversation. It's to kind of a back and forth conversation. So he was like, no, nah, just pull. So he pulled my chute for me. Um, and then obviously, so I stopped my fall and he continued below me, which is kind of an important detail because up till when you pull your shoot, you're kind of the responsibility of your instructor. They could see you, they could evaluate you. Um, but then the parachutes are, you know, 200 square feet of canvas. So theoretically, you know, I stopped falling. So now I'm here and he's still falling. And then, you know, he pulls hills a second later. So he's now here. If he looks up, he can't see me because there's, hopefully he can't see straight through to above him. Cause that means mm -hmm. there's a big hole in his parachute. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they always tell you that like in your safety checks, like if you look up and you can see sky above you, cut your parachute and everyone has a, a backup parachute built into their thing. And they say, pull your backup. Cause, cause that means there's a hole in your parachute. If it's big enough for you to see through more than a baseball, you're in trouble. Um, wow. Okay, I want to I want to interrupt you. I have a couple of questions. Okay, because I'm just dying to know a couple of different things, and I want to build some yeah. suspense here too. <laughs> I've had to pee many times before, like bad, 
especially on like road trips and stuff like that. And it's usually not a case where I'm like, I can hold this for another 15, 20 minutes. Like, so respect to you in the first place for being able to do that. (laughs) Second of all, and less important and more important is what does it feel like in those moments after you jump out? Is it, is it like a roller coaster where you have, you feel your stomach rise into your chest? Is it, does that happen? And if it does, does that last and how long? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's indescribable that first moment coming out of the plane, you can do nothing short of just scream. Like, even if you don't want to, your body is just yelling. Uh, and I remember my first tandem jump and then my second and third, uh, I, I booked my next jumps the second I landed. I was like, I need that again. There is no feeling in the world like it. And I think that's why skydiving is a sport because it, you know, it's not a, not a super stable career. It's not a super safe career. It's not a career you can be like, Oh, I'll do this till I'm 65. Um, but that feeling is indescribable. You feel like you're on top of the world. You see the world from a completely different perspective. It's like having a drone, but 14,000 feet up. Uh, so like you said, you know, your stomach goes in your chest, your stomach goes up through your chest, your shoulders, your head and out the top. Like it, you're just, it's like being on top of a roller coaster and going over a drop and not being attached to the cart. Uh, and it's just <laughs> indescribable. And once the first like couple seconds of terror pass, so there's like usually a couple seconds of just pure terror where you're like, what have I done? Um, you have so you pull at seven thousand. So you have seven thousand feet before of free fall, which is five about five seconds every thousand feet. So you have about thirty-five seconds where you're just falling towards the ground. And it's like the first couple of seconds you're just screaming. But after that, it's the most I don't know. I you know, I don't really do drugs, but I can imagine that that's why people do drugs, because that high is nothing like I've ever experienced before. Um and it's just incredible. And also, you know, New Jersey gets a bad rep, but, you know, it was a beautiful, you know, I had, I had the New York skyline out one side of me. I had like, you know, the, uh, the Appalachian trail and all the mountains out to the left of me. And I just had, you know, clear skies below me and I could see all the people who jumped before me, just kind of little dots. And it's, it's loud. It's, it's like very sensory overload, but in a really good way. Um, hmm. and it's, it's kind of like a, I don't, it's, it's indescribable. And I was talking to my mother about this, but, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, he's an author. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he has, uh, you know, a thought experiment called like a quarterback problem in that, like, you know, college quarterbacks jumping to the NFL, it's very hard to predict how they're going to perform because it's an entirely different game from the professional level to the college level in terms of, you know, the amount of players on you and how all the plays are run. She's like, you can't assess if someone's ready for it until they're in it. So it's really hard to train for that. Um, and skydiving is the same thing. My mom's like, you know, I feel like they should do more tandem jumps. But I was like, you know, going out of the plane with a whole another human strapped to you is a very different bodily experience than going out by yourself. So you can't train to be what it feels like by yourself until you're by yourself. And that was one of the things that caught me by surprise on my solo jump. Cause I'm, I'm a big, you know, I'm six, one, you know, one eighty five. So they pair me with a huge person when I tandem, you know, I've got a big dude behind me cause he's got to hold my weight. Um, so going through the air with all our gear, we're probably about, you know, 400, 425 pounds. 
So we weren't being rocked by the wind as much. When I went out mm. solo for the first time, I was so not prepared for how it didn't help that I caught dirty wind, but I was just so not prepared for how much more the wind was moving me without that extra 250 plus pounds on me. Um, and that was really jarring because I was like, oh, I have so much more flexibility, but I'm like, also, I need to stay much more stable because before my weight was helping me, you know, the weight on top of my back was helping me stay stable. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful feeling. I firmly believe everyone should tandem skydive at least once in their life to truly feel alive. I don't know if everyone should solo skydive. <laughs> Well, so we're at the point in the story where, um, the, the instructor has pulled your, has pulled your rip cord there down below you. But like, w as you were going, as you were going down and like things weren't going as planned, like, it sounds like your mind was more like, this is a wasted trip. Was there any point at, up until that moment where your mind went beyond that to where like, this could be a bad situation? Um, yeah, shortly after I pulled my chute. Um, so after I pulled my chute, I remember briefly checking out my altimeter and it wasn't kind of where I wanted it to be. And I was like, Oh, I definitely failed this jump. Uh, and then I started looking around and I was like, I don't see the jump zone. Like I don't, I don't see my landing area. Um, and that's when I was like, this isn't good. Uh, but it wasn't really worry. Um, cause I figured I must be close to it. And you have um, like a walkie-talkie that they rubber band to your shoulder. And then as each person comes in, they'll they'll walk you through your landing. So like, all right, you know, no one's below you, X, Y, or Z, you know, pull, pull your brakes now. Because um, sometimes from directly above, it's hard to gauge how far you are from the ground versus, you know, someone standing on the side can see like, oh, hey, you're, you know, you're getting close to the floor. Um, <laughs> so sometimes people will just come in you know, they think they got another 10 feet before they hit the ground and they're all of a sudden on the ground. So they, they walk you through your landing, which is great. Um, but like, it's not an open channel walkie talkie and you can't like hold down the button to talk cause you're holding your parachute above you. Um, <laughs> so I realized I might be in a little bit of trouble and I heard them talking through all the landings and then they were talking what should have been me through. And I was like, that's not me. So they have no visual on me because they think I'm the one coming into land right now. Um, and I was like, that tells me I'm not in a visual line of sight to the jump zone because they think like they think I'm accounted for and they don't see another parachute above them. So I was like, this is not great. So I was like, I'll just have to land off, which is, you know, they train you for in, in jump school. Uh, and that, that was not great. I was like, oh, this is not what I want my first jump to be. But it wasn't terrible. You know, there, there's a couple fields, a couple lakes, uh, and some trees and some power lines, which sounds scary, but they train you how to land in all four of those situations. They train you how to land on top of buildings. Uh, and most of it's easy because you land kind of near the jump zone and then they just come get you out of the tree or off someone's roof or out of someone's garden. Like, all oh, that's happened before. Um but the, uh, the problem with student parachutes is that they're really big. So your, your maneuverability, it's kind of like a car, like, you know, driving a sports car versus, you know, an 18 wheeler. So it's much more stable, but your maneuverability is really low. Uh, so the way they do it is, is your canopy size is, is like a two to one ratio of your weight plus your gear. 
to square footage. So like, let's say I was 185 with my gear, let's say it was 210. So they'd put me in like, you know, a 420 canopy of square footage. So I had, a, I had this big old, you know, sailboat sail above me. And then the more you level up and the more you jump, it gets down closer to, a, you know, 1.5, one to one. And there's even people who do like, I think like hat, like 0.5 to body weight for like really, you know, those are the people who you'll see them do spins and turn and land like perfectly. Uh, and those mm -hmm. have great maneuverability, but they have very little canopy stability. So that's why they put students on this big old rig. But in this big old rig, you can't turn too much. So I started like pulling on it and I like wasn't really moving at all. I was like, all right, I'll go left. And then it like went like an inch this way. And I was like, all right, I'll try going right. <laughs> and I was like, went like an inch this way. And I was like, all right, so I don't have the best steerability. And uh, the cool, well, cool, but also scary thing about skydiving is that your steering is also, it's called your brakes. And if you pull them too hard, it'll stall one side of the parachute, which is effectively how, how the turn happens. But if you brake mm -hmm. way too hard, then it won't, it'll crumple it in. And it won't refill with air. Um, so I, I tried really breaking and I dropped a little and I was like, oh, I just, I braked way too hard. And I was still, you know, probably at this point, thousand feet up and i was like this isn't a level <laughs> where i want to lose my parachute so i was like let me just chill on the steering i'm, I'm not going to do that um and you know on the walkie they're like all right you know clayton's coming in for landing or whatever and i'm i'm talking back i don't really i'm not fully aware that it's not an open channel but on the off chance it was i was mm -hmm. like hey you know, that's not me i'm i'm over here uh <laughs> in case anyone can hear me like that i'm i did not land this isn't me um, wow. So I saw some fields way off to my left that I was like, I can't, I won't make it to those. And I saw a lake and I was like, oh, that's great. I was like, water landing is easy. You know, like falling into water from high is not good, but you know, just coasting into it, it was, it'll be messy, but it'll be fine. And I'm a lifeguard. So I was like, I know how to swim. And they've taught me how to just, you know, get yourself out of your rig so you don't get pulled down. And I was like, this will be fine. And I'll just have to, you know, walk to a road and then get them to come back here and pick up this, you know, $4,000 rig that I just lost in a lake. Um, and I remember I was at about a thousand feet and I didn't like the way my, my parachute break. So I debated, you have an emergency parachute. So I debated cutting away my chute and deploying the emergency one, but it takes about 1500 feet to fill with enough air to hold you up. And I hadn't checked my altimeter again, but I was like, I feel like I'm too close to cut and I don't want to do that. Because they always tell you, unless you have a true emergency, like don't cut your parachute off you. And like, there was just a fleeting thought. I was like, I should do that. You have to cut your primary parachute off before you deploy? Yeah, because if both deploy above you, they could go in separate directions or they could tangle in a knot above you and then you'll just drop. Um, so you have, you have two harnesses or you have two handles on your chest strap. So your brakes are here and your chest straps here. So your, your right one cuts it, your left one deploys your backup and you're supposed to do them effectively, you know, at the same time, but staggered by a moment. And there's just like, you know, a spring loaded razor in the back that'll just, you know, it'll slice your main cords. And then the second one will slice your deployment for your, your backup one. And I was like, should I do that? And I was like, no, that's just kind of my fear talking. I was like, I don't think anything's wrong with my shoe. I just need to stop yanking on it. So I was like, all right. I was like, we'll, we'll go towards the lake. So I started really leaning on my right brake and coasting towards the lake. And I remember trying to get a visual of the sky of where I was because I saw a second lake that was farther off that I wasn't going to make it to. And I saw the closer lake. 
and I had a bunch of algae, you know, on the side closest to me, I think it was the east side. Um, and I was trying to find landmarks because I was like, I'm going to have to, you know, hail someone down and be like, hey, can you call the skydiving company and tell them to come pick me up and I didn't need to tell them where I am. So at this point, I was like, this is going to be a pain and, you know, they're probably all going to uh, roast me. It's kind of like a rule on the jump zone that if you land off, you have to go buy the whole mm group like you know case of donuts or a case of beer or something to kind of make up for the fact everyone has to come get you um so it's like a, a very big community thing and it's a very big family effort so that at that point i wasn't too worried i was still just you know i was i was leaning on my right toggle and i was coming down and i was you know coming down like this and the lake was here and you know trees were here and i was like you know coming and getting lower and coming and getting lower and i was like oh i don't think i'm clearing these trees and I remember verbally out loud, I said, hey, you know, this is Clayton Reynolds. I didn't land at the jump zone. I am about to land in trees. And then on the off chance, anyone heard me. I still didn't realize it wasn't an open channel. Uh, and then I was like, oh, my mom's going to kill me. Like, I verbally said that out loud while I was coasting because my mom obviously was not thrilled at the fact that I was skydiving. And she's like, what if you crash? And I'm like, one in 20,000 people crash. Like, what are the odds that happens to me ever, let alone like my first time? So obviously, you know, I shouldn't have said that, but <laughs> so I get just about like what looks to be like 30, 40 feet short of the lake, like 20 feet, maybe pretty close. And I see these like big, you know, bushy treetops and I was like, all right, you know, I'll crash into trees. That's not ideal, but no big problem. You know, I, I grew up on a farm. I climbed trees my whole life. This is fine. And your parachute procedure is when you land in a tree, it's just like, you know, hold on and then just, you know, tell them to come get you. Because most people just land off on trees kind of around the jump zone uh, so that they know where they are. So your procedure is to kind of stick your, your legs out in front of you like you're, you know, kicking someone. And then obviously, you know, cover your face with your eyes so you don't get impaled on a branch. Uh, and then just kind of punch through the branches. So I did that. So, I, you know, I, I kicked through, punched through, you know, felt branches slapping me. And then, you know, I felt uh, something sturdy-ish. So I was like, oh, I'll grab this and I'll hold on. Um, so I did that, stopped moving. I was like, great, cool. When I realized I was probably in a spot of trouble was when, so I, you know, I stopped falling. I'm no longer moving. I'm, I'm attached to this tree. My, my parachute's tied up in the branches above me and it had pulled through. So it wasn't in the top, topmost part of the canopy, but it was, uh, you know, not hanging. It was just stuck on branches, but it wasn't visible from up top. And what I realized I was probably in a spot of trouble is when I, I checked my altimeter and I was holding on to the tree and it was reading like between 120 and 150 feet up. Did you, did you feel relieved when you landed in the tree? Uh, yeah, I felt relieved until I looked down. Uh, cause I, in my <laughs> like, before I checked my altimeter, I thought I was probably only like 20, 30 feet up and I was like, Oh good. Like this is, you know, a manageable problem. Um, cause I was like falling out of the sky like that, that could kill you. So I was like, at least this is easy. And then I realized that I was still, you know, at, at a fatal fall distance. And I was like, this is not as good as I thought it was. Um, so the first thing I did, I was just really disoriented, obviously, like getting slapped in the face by a bunch of branches is like kind of hard to get your bearings. So uh, the the tree I was holding on to was like, I don't know, maybe this thick together like it wasn't i it, like i would have loved to crash into like a nice big tree and i could just hold on it uh that wasn't the case at all um so for those of you all that are just listening to this he he just he demonstrated like uh something about as big around as i don't know maybe like two baseball bats something like that oh yeah yeah not not thick at all probably 
both my forearms together and not even. Um, I could pretty much fit my one whole palm almost all the way around the trunk. So it wasn't, it wasn't as big as I would have liked to be holding on to. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the first thing I did was kind of just take stock of my surroundings, you know, make sure my helmet was still on, make sure my glasses were still on and I wasn't bleeding really anywhere. I had, I had a cut above my eyebrow, um, that was bleeding into my face a little bit. So I just had to wipe that. It, it wasn't bad. But the, the second biggest problem that I quickly came to realize was that when I was, you know, going through the tree, um, you, you kind of have to go through legs first is how they teach you to kind of fall through a tree or with your legs in front of you rather. Um, and my legs had gotten caught up in my brake lines, uh, in, my, in my parachute lines. So my right leg was tied um, above me. So I was kind of hanging upside down. Uh, and it was wrapped a bunch of times around right above my right knee and you know pulled tight because the strings were holding on my weight. So uh, that was not good because I said, you know, the first thing I got to figure out how to problem solve is I got to get my leg back because I can't do anything with one leg upside down. So uh, I tried to pull it and I tried to just wiggle it free and uh, that didn't work. So I, I came to the conclusion I was going to have to climb about 10 feet further up the tree, you know, shimmy up the tree uh, to the point where my leg was then below me so that I could try to like, you know, pull it out. Um and the higher up you go, the you know the thinner, the more wobbly the branch was, and it wasn't really a, you know rock solid to begin with. You know every time I moved it, it swung back and forth like a, you know, like a pole vault. Um, Let me ask you a question. So like I think a lot of people, I mean obviously this is a this is a crazy scenario that you only would like see in a movie, but I could think of a lot of people who would would like feel so depressed and like upset about the predicament that they're in that their mind would kind of go into this like helpless victim kind of mindset being like you know this is it i'm just gonna hang here until somebody finds me there's nothing i can do i'm powerless like what made you decide like i'm gonna be proactive in getting myself you know trying to get myself out of this tree even if it means falling to my death uh well, yeah. So I think I was really being proactive in an effort to be helpless. Like I just wanted to get to a point where I could just hold on and wait for someone else to come solve it. Uh, but I knew I couldn't do that without letting them know where I was. So I was like, all right, to, to be able to just let other people handle this for me, I need the radio. And I realized to get to the radio, I had to get out of the tree or at least get to a distance I felt comfortable maybe slipping and falling from because uh, for anyone listening who couldn't see, you know, the gesture that I'm making, my, my radio was kind of up above my right or my left shoulder. So I had to take my hands off the tree to try to hold down the talk button. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't really anything super inspirational. I was just trying to get to a point where someone else could fix it for me. And I knew that I mm -hmm. couldn't be at that point 125 feet up because uh, <laughs> if I waited up there I would have just you know fell out of the tree eventually and it would have been a much different story <laughs> yeah so I was I was really just just hustling to get to a, a point of laziness uh, <laughs> so yeah I, I climbed up the tree and it took me probably about 10 minutes to get my leg free uh and it hurt because it was, you know, wound so tight. It was like my foot fell asleep because I had no circulation. Um, 
So then I'm just kind of dangling there and I'm just trying to rub and slap my leg into the tree to get some circulation back into it because I was like, I need to be able to feel both my legs if I'm going to climb down this tree. The last thing I need to do is step wow. on my foot that's asleep and it's just not on anything. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I got my leg free, so that was good. Um, and I started to kind of just, you know, hand over hand down the tree and, uh, you know, I kind of wrapped my one arm around it like a, you know, like a bar hold. And then I grabbed my like hand. Like a headlock. So I figured, yeah, I kind of put the tree in a headlock uh, because I figured if, if my one hand gets a splinter or, you know, I slide down too fast and it hurts, my knee-jerk reaction is going to be to let go. But at least if I have kind of a, a two-factor or a two-system fail-safe, I won't just totally let go out of the tree was my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So for the next uh, about 30 minutes, I've been up in the tree about 10, 15 minutes already. So for about the next 30 minutes, I, I slid down, you know, little foot interval by little foot interval uh, and just climbed down the tree. And uh, what what muscles did you feel like were being challenged during that time? Everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> really, my my arms and shoulders were, were taking just a lot of beating and... Uh, my legs and also just kind of my my flexibility i'm not a incredibly flexible person but being able to you know kind of wedge my foot into it wasn't like i had branches to stand on so i was kind of balancing my feet on just kind of little knots of wood or a tiny little fork in a in a branch or something yeah like having having the hamstring mobility having the the strength that i needed to know if i missed a handhold you know i needed to stand up a little bit I could mm-hmm. kind of step off my legs. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really conscious. Like, wow, I'm I'm so. Actually, at one point, I did think, wow, I'm I'm glad I'm in good shape. But it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is a really good workout. I was just like, I I need everything <laughs> in me to be working in synchrony, <laughs> like in synchronization yeah. right now. Yeah. So so I got down to about fifty feet, and there was a, another tree that was kind of part of the tree I was in like it was kind of one tree that then branched off like this um Mm -hmm. and most of the climb down I'd been I'd have been on the outside edge of a tree so there's nothing behind me and so at this point I kind of swung I climbed around the tree uh so I was in between you know the fork because with my backpack on I was hoping I could lean back far enough that it would it would reach the other tree and I could kind of just like you know with my back my legs walk down but it Mm. wasn't uh sturdy enough so i would lean against it and just move further away so i was like well that's not good but i still felt better on that you know in that v because i figured if i fall out of this tree you know at least there's a chance you know my body will you know ping pong and bounce back and forth versus just you know if i was on the side nothing behind me i would just fall so neither was really appealing at the moment but i was like at least this way i might you know bounce off something and not have a straight fall because at this point I'd been in the tree about 45 minutes and I reached the conclusion that I was, I was going to be coming out of that tree very shortly, uh, whether I wanted to or not. Because at this point, you know, my, my legs were just, you know, shaking, vibrating. I was having muscle spasms in my arms. Like I, I was just spent on top of the, the, you know, physical fatigue, just the emotional and mental fatigue to kind of look down at, at a fall that will kill you and say, yep, I'm going to keep walking towards that maybe this is a dumb question but are you afraid of heights uh i i hadn't been previously i was a little uh uneasy about it 
after this, uh, and I'll, I'll get to that story in a minute. But uh, <laughs> no, you know, I'm firmly convinced that no one's really afraid of heights. They're just afraid of falling. Um, <laughs> and at that point, I was like, well, I'm definitely afraid of falling. Because if I was at, you know, 10, 15 feet, I wouldn't have cared, you know, because it, it was a fall I could have survived. I mean, I might have rolled an ankle or something, but it wouldn't have been fatal. But yeah, I was, I was at 50 feet after about 45 minutes. So I climbed down about 70, 80 feet. So I was, I was feeling pretty good about that. But I was also feeling that I had almost, you know, the same amount to go and I couldn't go another 45 minutes. Uh, yeah. And the biggest problem at this point was that the, the tree I was climbing didn't really have any branches per se um, that I'd been climbing down. I kind of just been sliding down. Um, but there were tiny little knobs of wood that kind of, I could dig my fingers into to kind of slide, you know, like, Oh, this will be a three foot slide and then I'll catch that. And then this will be, you know, a wow. four foot slide yeah. and I'll catch that. So uh, at the 50 foot mark, I was in a tiny little fork. I had on my, my one foot, it wasn't big enough to fit both my feet. So my one foot wedged, you know, so my foot was vertical almost instead of this, it was like, like this. Uh, mm. and I was using that to hold my weight to just catch my breath. And I realized that between me and the ground, there's virtually nothing, no knobs, mm. no, no more forks, no more stubs. So I said, all right, you know, this is, this is decision time. Um, wow. and that, that was uh, scary. So at this point, obviously I, I had no, no parachute or my initial parachute was gone. Cause I, when I started climbing down, um, the ropes that were still stuck in the tree would only let me climb so far down before they kept trying to pull me back up. So I actually had to, to cut that away. So I, for my whole climb, I had nothing. I wasn't tethered to anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was actually scary when I, when I realized I had to cut my tether to keep going. Because logically I knew, you know, if I just swung out, my parachute wouldn't hold me. You know, it wasn't tied around a branch that was weight bearing. It was like twigs. But still mentally it felt good knowing I was attached to something. Uh, <laughs> sure. And, you know, making the choice to say, I'm going to leave that, you know, even imaginary safety yeah. behind was, was tough. Yeah. So I did that. So at this point, I'm down to about 50 feet, 45 minutes, just my everything is just shaken. And uh, you have a, a second parachute in your backpack. It's like your emergency reserve chute. It's for in case your, your main parachute has a, you know, a hole in it or something and you're still high up enough above to, you know, deploy it. Um, so I, I thought to myself, I'm going to deploy that and not, you know, float on it. Cause you need 1500 feet for it to fill with air. So I, I would have just yeah. dropped like a rock. I would have effectively had no parachute. I said, you know, I'll deploy that and I'll, I'll pull it back up cause it's on a, a spring. So I said, I'll use this rope. Mm. And so what I, I, I popped the chute, it shot out behind me. I, I grabbed it and you know, the rest of it fell to the ground and I pulled it back up, um, with one arm while holding on to the tree. Yeah. So, so I, I pulled all the cord back up and, you know, I kind of got it around both my hands and I, I wrapped it around the trunk and I wrapped it around myself in my hands. And I figured I'd kind of just, you know, how people kind of go up to work on electrical poles. They just kind of yeah. like sling yeah. the thing up and climb up. I figured I'd, I'd do that in the reverse. Uh, so yeah. I was like, you know, I'll just, you know, hold myself tight to the trunk and kind of slide down. Which I thought was like, really, I was like, wow, this is a good idea. Like, this is great. And so I got, you know, tied in. I, I made sure my helmet was back on. I put my glasses back on. I, I pulled my backpack really tight on my back because I, 
I was like, you know, we're still 50 feet up and I'm going to about to make the conscious decision to effectively jump out of this tree. So I fully made peace of the fact I was probably going to break both my legs. Uh, well, peace is a strong word. I wasn't thrilled about it, but I just kind of accepted it. Mm. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to break my neck. I didn't want to break my head and I didn't want to, you know, snap my spine or anything. So I, I pulled my backpack real tight because it was the back, the inside back of a parachute is, you know, stiff. It's hard because it has to hold on to you while you fall out of the sky. So I was like, it's effectively like a, you know, a brace built in. And I figured, you know, I'll just slide, slide on down and, you know, tied everything on, got it all nice and snug. And then I just said, you know, we're going to jump. And before I did that, I I tried one more time to, to reach my walkie talkie and it it wasn't really quite working. So I was like, all right, you know, we'll deal with that on the ground because I still didn't want to fall. I mean, 50 feet was a lot better than 130, but it wasn't a, a height I wanted to tumble out of sideways. You know, I said, if I have any chance of surviving this fall, I need to do it with intention. So I still, mm-hmm. like, to me, the walkie-talkie was still second priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I got all set, got all situated, and then I just kind of jumped and, and slid. And it went great for about the first 10 feet, uh, 5 feet. So I got to about 40 feet. And at that point, the one thing I hadn't considered was just how absolutely shot my muscles were. And the fact that I was sliding down, you know, holding paracord in in my bare hands so uh as it started to take my weight it just started sliding through my hands and it it, it burned right through my right hand all across all my fingers and my my knee-jerk you know bodily reptile brain reaction is to just let go you know like when you touch a hot stove you don't think oh i'm gonna Mm -hmm. let go of that you just kind of like ah so yeah I let go and I had like a, a, a one second fleeting thought just watching the ground come up at me, you know, much faster than I'd hoped for. I was like, this is going to hurt. Uh, so I just tried to keep, I didn't want like my legs to be flailing out to the side because I figured, you know, if I land off sideways or land one leg higher than the other or land in a split or something, then I'll just break my knees or, you know, they'll punch through and I'll get a compound fracture. Um, mm. so I was like, all right, let me just try to keep my legs together. So I just slammed my legs together for the one second I had, you know, thinking falling towards the ground and I tried to pull myself in closer to the trunk. So I landed, I, you know, I stuck just kind of both feet right into the ground and immediately just collapsed, uh, like just, just fell forward. And as soon mm. as I landed, I knew I broke my spine. Uh, it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Just like absolutely excruciating and you know i'm someone who's i've broken fingers you know i've broken elbows wrists thumbs toes uh hands because you know i skated i surfed i played contact sports my whole life so like i wasn't someone who had a low pain tolerance i snapped my wrist snowboarding one time and just kind of got up and snowboarded down to the bottom of the lodge and was like all right you know i need a cast (laughs) um (laughs) okay so i thought i had a pretty good Pain, yeah. I thought I had a pretty good pain threshold, and, and this pain was like nothing else I'd ever felt in my life. It was like my body was on fire. Um, so I immediately landed, fell forward, and started to lose consciousness from the pain. Like I started to just get tunnel vision, and everything started to go dark. And I just remember kind of yelling at myself, like out loud, verbally. I was just like, don't pass out. And I was just like lecturing myself because I was like, if I pass out, they still don't know where I am. Mm-hmm. They still don't know how to find me. Uh, I didn't think I would just die from the impact. But I was like, I'm going to wake up, you know, hours later in a much worse spot than I am right now if I can mm-hmm. let help know where I am. 
Uh, so I kind of just white knuckled it and, and just told myself, I was just saying out loud, I was like, you know, injury is a choice, which logically makes no sense. But uh, I was just like, you know, do not pass out. Um, yeah. and, and as soon as I realized that I, you know, had a, had a slightly stronger grip on consciousness, I tried to figure out kind of how injured I was. I was really hoping I wasn't paralyzed. So I started trying to, you know, wiggle my toes and roll my wrists and kind of all the things they tell you to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I, I can, I couldn't really feel anything moving cause I could only really experience the pain. Uh, but mm-hmm. I could like see my hands moving. I was like, all right, good. Like that's solid. I actually, I hit the ground so hard. I had like gym shoes on that were laced up, like, you know, tied and everything. I hit the ground so hard when I landed that I actually bounced out of my shoes that they were fully laced on, but I had just <laughs> springed myself right out of them. So I don't know how much impact that needs, but, but I exceeded it. I don't think any of us can appreciate what that pain probably felt like. Was it just like an overall pain over your whole body or was it localized to one specific area? I mean, I knew it was worse than my spine. It, it was, it was kind of like if someone had taken my spine and set it on fire. So like, you know, mm. my, my arms and fingers didn't, hurt as bad as my back but but it was like it was almost like i didn't have enough nerve endings to process all the pain so it was just kind of going other places in my body Um, wow so that wasn't fun yeah that certainly wasn't wasn't a good time uh i would say so yes (laughs) that's an understatement yeah so i was i was still leaning against the tree kind of collapsed against it and my my walkie-talkie which had been the whole purpose of coming out of the tree had actually gotten knocked off in my fall so it was over on the forest floor. So I kind of just rolled over to the side and tried to scoot over to get it. At this point, I had the walkie talkie. I had, I wasn't using it and I tried to, uh, sit upright and I was like, you know, maybe I need to just stabilize myself. So I got myself up to sitting 90 degrees against the trunk of this tree. And that pain was so much worse. And I almost blacked out again. So I said, you know, okay, we're not going to do that. We're just going to lay over. So I kind of just keeled over into a almost like a, a fetal position and I kind of slung my backpack like wedged it under me so that I could not roll back and not roll forward and just kind of sit the uh, same way they kind of tell mm-hmm. you to do in college like if someone passed out from drinking and you want them to like choke on their vomit you like you know prop them up so that like they're not on their back and they're not on their front they're just kind of in between <laughs> don't say you didn't like, learn yeah, anything I, in you know, college I that in college yeah right <laughs> that's two hundred thousand dollars of a degree right there in knowledge <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, you know, I, I remember this. And I know with any, uh, you know, I've, I was, I've been a lifeguard my whole life. I grew up at the beach. So I know with any, you know, whenever they tell you someone hurts themselves jumping into a pool or something, they're like, oh, stabilize their neck. So I was like, I don't know what injury is my neck, but I probably shouldn't move it. So I took my helmet off and I put it on the ground. And it was just about high enough that I could lay my head there and not be at any kind of tilt. So I couldn't move anything. And then there was a big branch on the ground. And I was just, I remember being pissed off. And I was like, where were you in the tree? You know, like, this is why this tree has no branches. They all <laughs> fell off. Uh, so I kind of pulled it towards me. And I was able to drape my arm over it. And I, I grabbed the walkie-talkie. And I was able to kind of drape it so that it, the walkie-talkie would be in front of the face. Because I was in so much pain that, like, holding my arm to my face was just, like, an impossibility. Wow. Um, and, and I was able to, you know, contact the base camp and... They were like, you know, is this Clayton? I was like, yeah. Did you lose someone else in the time I was gone? Like, who else would it be? You know, like, <laughs> I hear you guys all. Captain you know, Obvious. Because that was the most frustrating part about being in the tree 
not being able to reach my walkie-talkies, I could hear them talking. They were like, you know, Clayton, mm-hmm. we know you're missing. If you can hear us, if you're conscious, talk to us. And I was like, I, I can't talk to you, yeah. but I'm here. So I was just like, if there's only this was an open channel, then I, at that point, I would have stayed at 50 feet and just tied myself in a knot to the tree uh, right. and just waited. But I was like, you know, they still don't know where I am and they're not gonna unless I get out of this tree. So I was like, you know, I kind of have to grab the bull by the horns and I was coming out of the tree either on the tree's terms or on mine. So I figured I'd do it on mine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I was able to contact them and give them some instructions about kind of what I saw when I was coming down and the lake I saw that I was trying to land in and all the algae on the one side of it and the color of the lake. Cause there's a couple lakes in that region and I was trying to just describe where I was. So they sent out a bunch of, you know, cop cars, fire trucks, ambulances, and they were just sending them out on different roads with their sirens on and just like, let us know when you hear something and we'll know we're going in the right direction. Uh, and I was hearing nothing. So like, all right, we'll send them in a different direction. And I waited and I was still hearing nothing. So then they put the plane back up and it was going overhead and they're like, all right, let us know when you hear it. And I was like, all right, like I hear it. And they're like, well, how close to you does it sound? And I was like, I don't know. If you guys missed the part where I said I'm laying here, you know, face down in the dirt with a broken In the worst spine. pain of like, my I'm life. Really, yeah, I was like, I'm not really able to look around and take stock of how far away it looks. Like, it, it sounds like it's kind of close. And uh, I don't know if this is just a generational thing, but like, you know, people always say like millennials are always, you know, too nice to servers and, and wait staff and whatever. And I just remember like I was being so nice to the guy because I was like, you know, he's not the one who screwed up my landing. He doesn't need me to yell at him. But after like, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I was like, listen, I know this isn't a you thing, but is there someone else I could talk to? Because I'm getting a little frustrated here. Uh, You're too nice, Clayton. I was just trying so hard not to, not to curse this guy out. But I was like, it's not his fault. He doesn't, you know, have a handy topographical map of lakes in the region. Like, so they patched me through to one of the instructors who was actually in, in the plane who jumped with me. He wasn't my instructor, but he was someone who had uh, been present at my at my jump course and I was much more familiar with and he was because I was like you know starting to get not panicked but just the pain was I was like this pain is going to make me snap and I'm just going to start freaking out and I was like that's going to be no Mm -hmm. use to anyone so I was like trying to keep the pain at bay and the panic at bay so I was like hey just like you know let me talk to someone who knows a little bit about what they're doing and eventually I put this other guy on and he was talking to me and he's like you know we're coming to find you I'm like yeah you know you said that 30 minutes ago and I'm still here with a broken spine so <laughs> eventually they just they sent people out on local roads and uh, you know just going through the trees and they were just shouting and eventually I heard someone and they're like oh can you shout back and I tried to breathe in to shout and then I almost blacked out again because like you know oh my expanding gosh. my ribs with air pushing against my spine hurt a lot like just talking at this point I've been talking for 45 minutes I've been in the tree for another 50 I'd been gone almost an hour and a half two hours and let me remind everybody listening that you had to pee before you even jumped out of the plane oh yeah and that was still very much on my mind I would have gone. And it was like a 90-something degree day. I probably would have lying on the forest floor. I just couldn't. I, my organs and everything were so swollen, I, I couldn't. But, yeah, it was also, you know, 90-something degree day in New Jersey. I'd been up in a tree, you know, right next to the sun for an hour and a half. And I was in a full black, you know, legs, arms jumpsuit. So I was just so dehydrated. Like, I remember my lips were just peeling and bleeding because I was mm. so dehydrated. 
Um, I'm really surprised that there's not some sort of locating device on the walkie or on your body that is like a find my iPhone kind of thing. Well, that was where I was really upset with them because all the instructors and everyone who's certified, they just like will sew an Apple tag into their chute because they're like, you know, mm-hmm. 10, $15 and the parachute's three grand. So like, it's mm-hmm. not, I don't want to say it's common, but it's not uncommon for something to go wrong with your main chute and you just cut it away and then deploy your backup. I mean, that's what it's for. But then they don't just like chuck it. Like, you know, they figure out wherever it floats down to and then they go drive mm-hmm. and get a ladder and go get it because it's a $3,500 piece of canvas. So yeah, uh, all of them have instru- uh, have locators in their in their kits and in their gear. And I was thinking to myself, that's the one thing. I mean, I felt like they prepared me. I mean, they prepared me how to land into a tree. They didn't tell me what to do if that tree is, you know, taller than a skyscraper. But they prepared me relatively well for everything I faced, except for the fact that I'm like, it would have been probably a $20 upgrade to make this an open channel walkie or a $50 upgrade to throw an Apple tag in my kit. And mm-hmm. if I had just been able to talk to them without having to hold down the button, I could have just tied myself to that tree and stayed at 50 feet and waited for them to come get me. Yeah. So that that was where I was kind of frustrated with them. And, it, you know, yeah, it's not any sense. of the instructors who, who make that decision. It's kind of just a an, uh, company policy. Thing. Yeah. And, and like they said, they've never lost anyone more than you know line of sight so when students mm-hmm. land off they usually just land on the edge of the runway or in a tree right by the landing zone and they just walk over and get them they see them yeah uh, i think you know i have i have perspective on different measurements because of my time working in construction but i don't think a lot of people realize how high 100 150 feet really is and even the 40-ish feet that you ended up falling from like a typical two-story suburban house like you know that's just like a box basically on top of another box Mm -hmm. the tip of that thing is probably somewhere around 40 feet i'm not talking about if you were to fall from the top and bounce down and fall off the the edge where you hang the christmas lights i'm talking like the tip of the thing you know up at the top like that's a substantial (laughs) fall yeah uh it definitely hurt um so eventually I heard people and I was able to shout a couple times before it almost blacked me out. And then, you know, he saw me and ran over mm. and then he, you know, uh, the EMT who found me was able to call on the rest of the people. And then the, the guy who I'd been on the walkie with from base camp, one of my past instructors, you know, came out and was, you know, talking to me and they were trying to figure out what injuries I had, you know, without really moving me too much. And I was like, well, it's definitely my spine. And I was like, I fell from probably about 50 feet. And they're like, I don't think so. They're like, your your parachute's only like twenty feet up in the tree. And I was like, No, that's that's my other parachute. I'm like, look above that. <laughs> and they like looked way up and they were like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and they're like, That's yeah, we see what you mean. And the instructor actually took a picture of it and he hasn't sent it to me, but I, I wish he would, because I just want to know for perspective, like where it was yeah. in the tree. And I remember when when they were trying to come out and find me, I was like, just tell the EMTs who are like coming to get me, like bring a Gatorade or something, because I was so parched, mm. it was just killing me. Like I was on the verge of tears. I was so thirsty. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, so they get me and they like they have no Gatorade and I'm just like pissed off. And I was like, look, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes. I was missing for an hour. I was like, could you guys just do the one thing I asked? And they were like, you know, unfortunately we can't let you drink anything because you might need mm-hmm. surgery and you're not supposed to eat or drink anything before surgery. And I was like, man, that is such a bummer. Like <laughs> I was just so frustrated. Just as bad as the fall right there. Yeah. And, and, you know, so they've got, I'm surrounded by EMTs and a couple people from the jump Academy and they're trying to get me out of this 
I'm still in my parachute backpack and they're trying to get it off me without cutting it. Because if you cut it, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a $4,000 rig. And I was saying to the guys, I was like, look, at this point, like I'm in pain. More pain isn't really, you know, terrible. Like I've been sitting here with a broken spine. I was like, so just, I was like, let me know how to move my arms and get myself out of this thing. Cause I don't want you to have to cut through this chute. I was like, it's, you know, it's an expensive piece of equipment. And, and the jump school instructors were like, yeah, you know, we really appreciate that. And the EMTs were kind of arguing with them. Like, no, like we just need to cut him out. Like he needs to be out of this mm -hmm. thing. And they're like, but it's really expensive to replace and there's a supply chain shortage and blah, blah, blah. Um, so they're just kind of like going back and forth above me. And I was laying there and I was like, look, and I just kind of like started moving my arm and I kind of got both my like chicken wings through it. So I was like, mm -hmm. if you guys just pull it off me, I'm no longer attached to it anymore. I was like, you guys just yeah. need to hit my waist strap. So they were able to, to do that, which is a super minor fix. And they kind of pulled it off me. And I was like, woohoo, we saved the parachute. Uh, <laughs> And cause I was just like, I've, I was so embarrassed. Cause I was like, I just ruined this whole jump day for everyone. Cause it like grounded all the planes. All the instructors took the planes up in the air and they were looking for me from the skies. Like no one else was jumping for like, you know, the two hours of this whole ordeal. And I just felt bad. Cause I knew all the kids at the jump zone who I'd been sitting around debating if I should go get lunch with and go to the bathroom with before my jump. And I was like, yeah. we are all there for the same thing to, you know, try to get our cert. And it's hard enough to find like a good weather day where it's not too crowded and not too many students and you actually get a jumpsuit and like everything has to line up perfect. Like I said earlier, like this is probably like my fifth or sixth time trying to go get this damn certification and like between wind and weather and volume, like it just didn't line up. And I was like, damn, they had a perfect day and I just grounded everything for like two hours and I just felt bad. Uh, which was, you know, probably wasn't, <laughs> probably wasn't what should have been going through my head, but it was. And, uh, so yeah, so they, they wind up backboarding me and they had to drive like an ATV out into the woods cause it was, I was so far into the woods, they couldn't get a car there. So they backboarded me onto an ATV, lifted that up, which hurt. <laughs> and they're like, this is going to hurt. And I was like, yeah, I figured. I was like, at this point, me and Payne are, are good friends. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so got me on the ATV, drove me out of the woods. Like we're going over like rocks and trees and everything like, oh, we're yeah. in the woods and they get me to a road and then transfer me from like, now that we're on pavement from the ATV to an ambulance and then drive me from the ambulance back to the jump zone, which is the first place I want to be because they called in a helicopter because mm. uh, they weren't quite sure how bad my injuries were and how soon I need surgery. So they're airlifting me to a trauma center. So then they chuck me into, uh, you know, another flying machine, which is certainly the first place I want to be. And I'm like, look, if this thing goes down, you guys are in charge of catching me. I did that already. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, so they throw me on the helicopter and, you know, the, at the jump zone, people are coming up and, you know, trying to talk to me while I'm being airlifted. And a couple of my buddies, uh, you know, from the jump zone were like, I was like, yeah, usually you have to do like 150 jumps before you can go up in a helicopter. <laughs> I was like, I did it in one. <laughs> yeah, uh, not the way you so picture yeah, it. I but... was like, yeah, joking with them. So, so they airlifted me to a trauma center. And right before they threw me in the helicopter, they were like, do you want us to, you know, call your emergency contact? And I was like, no, don't do that. Because it was my mother. And well, I was like, where was you your phone like, this whole time? Uh, it was at the jump zone. You're not allowed to jump with anything in your pockets mm. or on your person in case it falls out. Cause I was like, if yeah. I had it, I would have just called someone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, hey guys. Oh, I, I, that's actually, that's one thing that I was so far out in the woods that they didn't have service. So when the EMTs mm. came to come and get me, they actually couldn't reach the other EMTs. Cause I was so far out Their Phones didn't work. Their walkie talkies weren't working. 
So they just had to wait yeah. for someone to walk close enough in range of the walkie to tell them on the walkie, like, hey, we have him, but we can't let anyone know. So go tell everyone uh, and like yeah. send us a car. So that took a while, which is why like I was, they found me after about 40 minutes and it probably took another 20 minutes to, to actually get me mobilized because they couldn't let anyone know that they knew where I was. Yeah. Um, so you told him, don't call my mom. Yeah, but it was times like that where I was like, you know, I should have had a locator in my shoe. You guys, like, if you're a search and rescue, you should probably have a sat phone. Like, why am I sitting here? Because you don't have bars. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. Um, so, like, that little moments like that made me frustrated. Where I was like, you know, this could have been executed a little bit better. But, yeah, I was like, don't call my mom. Because I was like, what are you going to tell her? Like, we don't know any definitive information and all of it looks bad. So, I was like, let me just, like, I'm going to go. I'm going to get x-rayed. And then, like, I'll call her. I was like, bring my phone to the hospital. Like, drive it there. And, uh, you know, when I get x-ray, I'll call them and I'll always be like, hey, you know, here's the good news. Because I was hoping, you know, I knew I could move my hands and feet. So I knew I wasn't totally paralyzed, but I didn't know if I'd ever walk again. I didn't know anything. You know, I, when I first landed, I tried to roll up and I was like, maybe I could walk out of these woods. And mm-hmm. I just trying to sit up almost took me out. And I was like, yeah, walking is not even close to in my vernacular right now. So I get airlifted, I get, you know, x-rayed and MRI'd and on the plane, I was like, hey, do you guys have anything for, for the pain? Like, it's starting to get really bad. And they're like, well, where would you rank it out of 10? And I, like, hate that question. Because I always heard, like, right. you know, the the most pain a human can endure is, like, you know, snapping their femur or something because it's, like, harder than concrete or, like, giving birth. And I was like, well, I don't really mm-hmm. have a baseline to, like, I haven't given birth, so I don't know, like, what a 10 is. And I feel like if you ever say 10, then they just assume you're dying. Or, or lying. Yeah, so I was like, like maybe a seven or an eight. Like I don't know, kind of what yeah. our scale here is, but I was like, this is worse than I've ever been injured. But also, I'm not saying I couldn't get worse. So like, I don't. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Right. So I was like, like an eight, and they gave me an IV, and I thought it would be like you know, not Tylenol, but like morphine or something. And I was like, hey, like after a little bit, I had like the little helicopter you know headset on because you couldn't talk Mm -hmm. to anyone and i was like trying to get the lady to talk to me i was like hey i'm like turning your mic on so she turned my mic on i was like yeah i was like i feel like what did you give me and they're like we gave you um fentanyl and i was like oh isn't that like what keeps killing people uh yeah because like there's all these reports about like you know people having fentanyl and like like marijuana or coke or something and then just dying Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's like, oh, like one gram's enough to kill an elephant. So I'm like, I'm no doctor, but I was like, feels like you gave me a lot of this and that seems to be not good. But I was like, at that point I felt great. I was like, you guys just drop me off at home. Like I'll be good. <laughs> um, so, so I go in and I get x-rayed and I get MRI and all that. And that probably takes like an hour, 30 minutes and I get my phone. So at this point it'd been you know, maybe three hours since I jumped. So I was like, good, I'll call my mom. And they're like, hey, you know, you, you've snapped, like you pretty much disintegrated two entire vertebrae. Uh, and I was like, okay, good. And they weren't quite sure where we fail on surgery or walking or anything. What, did they tell you which vertebrae you broke? Yeah, my L1 and L2, which are like okay. the two you really don't want to do. It's like the base of your the spine. The top two of your up. lumbar spine. Yeah, so it kind of holds up everything. So they, they get me my phone, and I was like, good, I'll, I'll call my family. And unbeknownst to me, my my younger sister had had just a premonition that something was wrong. Uh, and she had, you know, called me and been like, hey, you know, how did your jump go? And obviously I didn't answer. 
because uh, I was probably still in the tree. So after a while, she called back and still no answer. So I didn't know this, but apparently she had my location on. So she checked my location and saw I was at a trauma center. So she calls my brother and she's like, Clayton's not responding and his phone's at a trauma center. So then my brother calls the hospital and they're like, uh, he's like looking for me by name. And they're like, oh, we don't have a patient by that name. He's like, you don't have anyone? They're like, no. They're like, well, we do have someone who got airlifted in from a skydiving accident, but we don't know kind of the status of the patient. So in my family's eyes, I'm dead. Like I've been dead for two hours. So they're all just falling to pieces. Like my brother took off work. My girlfriend ran out of work. My sister left work. My dad left work. It was like the fast and the furious. I called my brother and he he didn't even understand what was going on when I called him because he was like, you're alive? And he was just booking it up, you know, the, the... the Garden State Parkway, he was driving up the shoulder, like in I-95, just going like 70, wow. just flying past people on the shoulder because they thought I was dead. So he's like, you have to call mom. Mom thinks you're dead. I was like, I had this all planned out for the least amount of stress for you guys. And you guys, like my two siblings, you know, bless their hearts, they threw that plan straight out the window. I was like, this was going to yeah. be a low stress situation because the first thing on my mind was like, my mom's going to kill me. So, right. yeah, so I called my mom and she was beside herself and then she was angry at me and I was like, yeah, I hit a tree and she was like, why did you do that? And I was like, I remember you told me that eyes at me like, no, like I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of, <laughs> it was the best option I had. Yeah. Yeah. So because of COVID, I'm only allowed to have two guests at a time. So like all my family's coming here and I was like, the ones who are farther away turn around. I was like, they're not even going to let you in. Like, we're not going to know anything about surgery tonight because they're like, oh, the surgeon's not here. Because I just still wanted water. I was like, can you give me ice chips? Oh, my like, gosh. oh you might need surgery. I'm like, well, can you figure out if I do or don't? Because I was like, can I have some chapstick? I need liquids. Yeah, something. Like, my lips were bleeding. It was just rough. And yeah, but besides the broken back, like I had only, I had two sticks that had kind of gotten embedded in my hand when I fell out. And I had, Mm. Uh, like a cut on my eyebrow and then I had like a twig that like went up my nose that I, I didn't even oh my know gosh. about. And they're like, do you want us to remove that? And I was like, I, I didn't know it was there. Like, cool. I don't need it. Because like my pain was so yeah, consumed by my back. I wasn't really paying attention to anything else. Yeah. So so my family starts showing up and I get my cell phone. And then the, the first thing I do once I talk to my mother, you know, I'm a good son. Once I talk to my family, I started calling clients because I was like, I have weddings that are going to need to be adjusted. So I FaceTimed two of my clients whose weddings I knew were in like a four week window. And I was like, I probably will not be going forward with this as planned. So I FaceTimed them like from the ER, I called them like, Hey, it's, you know, Friday night. Like, you know, could we talk later? And I was like, answer this FaceTime. I was like, I can't, I don't have the energy to type this out. Um, So I talked to them and I was like, Hey, like, you know, don't worry. Uh, Like your wedding's still going to go ahead as planned. I was like, I'll have, you know, my team members cover it, but uh, like, I'll still edit it. It'll still look the same, but I probably won't be the one that's there. And they were like, why are you even worried about us right now? Like, worry about yourself. And I was like, I just like the first thing in my mind was just my clients because, A, I, I felt terrible for them because a lot of my clients booked me two, two and a half years out. And they're very particular about, you know, who they want. And then I go and in hindsight, I was like, learning to skydive during the peak of wedding season probably wasn't like the, the best time to do it. But, you know, no one thinks they're going to, you know, be that one in 20,000 who falls. Right. So, I do. I think I would be. So I'm not doing it. <laughs> Yeah, well, everyone I've told this to is like, yeah, I would be. I was like, well, it's easy to see that now, but it, you know, at right. the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the other thing, I was just like, I'm going to have a 
boatload of hospital bills. And I was like, I can't afford any clients asking for refunds right now. Cause I was like, this is going to sink me, you know? And like, I have good insurance, but still I was like, this is going to be really bad. Just the helicopter uh, ride alone. Financially. Yeah. Those are like a hundred so, grand so, trip. Yeah. Th- those are a lot. Those are a lot. So, uh, yeah, so I get stabilized. They put me in the uh, ICU unit for two days. They gave me like one shot of a different painkiller. And I was like, don't give me more fentanyl. Like, I probably shouldn't have more of that. They're like, well, how much mm-hmm. did you have already? I was like, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, then we're not giving you more. If, if yeah. we don't know how much you've already had, like, we're probably. Why would you know? Isn't it? It's the uh, nurse on the helicopter's yeah. job to know how much you got. Yeah, and they, they, weren't, they weren't there anymore. Yeah. I was like, what increments does it usually go in? Like, maybe. Pounds. So, yeah. Yeah, so I got uh, stabilized. I got in the ICU and I just hung out overnight. And the pain was bad, but it wasn't terrible. And I tried not to ask the nurse for any more painkillers. And the biggest thing was I was like, I just have to pee still at this point. You know, it's been six hours since I had to pee and I still haven't peed. And I just couldn't, you know, like they're like, oh, all your organs are showing is super swollen right now from the trauma. So you're not going to be able to pee. And I was like, well, that's frustrating. Wow. I was like, I'm thirsty and can't drink. I have to pee, but I can't pee. I was like, is there anything else you guys want to do to me that like is going to make this a more pleasurable experience? Can I get a haircut Um, while I'm waiting? So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so the next day I, uh, I, you know, talked to the spine surgeon. They're like, you know, we're, we're pretty sure you won't need surgery, but we're not sure we're going to like see how things settle. So we'll come back in six hours. And I was like, please don't. I was like, just decide now. Cause I was like, I need to drink something. Like I Mm -hmm. am so dehydrated. They were probably giving you fluids, but that wasn't making you not thirsty. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they had me hooked up to an IV, but it did nothing for the fact that my mouth had swallowed, you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of branches and dirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So they're like, all right, you, you know, eventually they're like, you don't need surgery. We just need to put you in this special spinal brace and then you can, you know, we'll figure out if you can learn to walk again and stuff. Uh, and this is Saturday morning. And I was like, all right, can you order it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to order it. And it didn't come to like Tuesday because when they thought they ordered it, they didn't. And then they ordered it from somewhere that doesn't deliver on weekends. I'm like, you guys are a trauma center. Like you don't have Amazon Prime or something. Uh, So (laughs) that was really frustrating. I remember uh, you, I saw in your Instagram story, like Friday night or Saturday morning, you put something about um, something going wrong with skydiving. And I sent you a message in Instagram. I was like, what's up? And you, you said, you know, uh, this was really, this is like six o'clock in the morning <laughs> central when we we're having this conversation. And I was like, let me wait till Blakely wakes up and then I will, we can FaceTime and, um, you can give me the rundown. I didn't realize at the time how fresh all this was. And then I log into true coach like an hour later and see that you had sent me a video from your hospital bed <laughs> that night, basically saying like, Hey, I fell out of a an airplane. Um, I, my back is broken. I'm going to have to take a break from training for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you think? <laughs> so yeah, I, I remember sending that. <laughs> yeah. So, I think you were mostly with it when you sent it. You might've still been under the influence. Yeah, no, that was, that was rough. I was, I was, I was still there, but I was definitely a little glassy eyed. But yeah, so basically to wrap up this whole ordeal, I, I spent the weekend in the hospital just kind of yelling respectfully at my nurses. But I was like, why is this brace not here? And I have friends who are nurses in other hospitals. I'm like, can they just bring it, like take it from there and bring it here? And then when this one arrives, you return it? Like, I was like, can we do a barter system? I was like, I just need to get out of here. Like, I don't want to be here. 
there's no need for me to be here. Because A, I was super uncomfortable, and B, I was like, I don't want to keep paying because I know this is going to be really expensive. That was just like on yeah. my brain. So I spent the weekend, my family was able to bring me my laptop, and I actually just edited some weddings, knocked out some some edits while I was there. And they were like, why are you working? I was like, well, what else is there to do? Just lay here in pain or like lay here in pain and be productive. I was like, it's not like <laughs> getting up and moving is an option. Like I still wasn't allowed out of the bed. Uh, yeah. And I couldn't pee, so I wasn't eating because I was like, I, I don't want to eat anything because I feel full and I was pumped full of IV fluids. So my arm was just like numb. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, I'll sit here. Uh, so so on Tuesday, they got me fitted for my brace. And they were like, oh, you might not be able to leave till like next Friday or Saturday because we're going to need to do like PT and OT. And you're going to have to demonstrate you could like walk and go to the bathroom and go upstairs and like everything you need to do to like be cleared to go home. And like, we're going to have to show you how to get dressed, like, you know, with like a grabber and like put your socks on. I was like, just bring PT and OT here right now. I was like, bring everyone here and we'll do it all right now. Like as soon as I got there, like, no, like they're about to leave. I was like, bring them here. I was like, I promise this won't take long. Uh, so they all came down and I like did every test they had and I was done in like 25 minutes. And I was like, I'm going home. Like, I was like, get me out of here. Uh, so, so four, four days after... I broke my spine. I walked out of the hospital um, slowly, but I walked yeah. out on my own two feet. And yeah, so that that was kind of the whole experience. And then the worst part was just kind of getting acclimated to being home. I had to move my whole bedroom to the first floor and uh, mm-hmm. just still like uh, wanting to be able to pee and not being able to. I've never had so many doctors calling me like, have you peed? I was like, no one's ever cared this much if I peed in my entire <laughs> life. Like. <laughs> Um, and they probably never will again yeah and then it was yeah right and then it was hopefully uh it was weird because like i had to be in the brace 24 7 except when i showered so i would just take it Mm -hmm. off you know and then go shower and i was like i feel like this is the time i'm most likely to fall and hurt myself in a shower so i was just like very (laughs) hesitant yeah yeah um so i was just like very hesitant and and nervous but so you're out of the brace now are you feeling um are you feeling kind of fragile or are you feeling pretty stable uh, I'm actually feeling good today. I'm I'm actually planning to go to the gym later today for the first time uh, since the accident. But yeah, I never felt fragile so much as I didn't want to make it worse per se. Because I was mm-hmm. like, I can't re-break it. I was like, I just don't want to mess it up. Because everyone's like, you're lucky you're not paralyzed was something I kept hearing from all the doctors. And I was like, well, I don't want to get paralyzed and do something wrong. So I was like, I was just really hesitant. But yeah, so during, on, on like September 17th, like 28 days post-accident, I actually, you know, I, I got my brace and, you know, a boat ton of Advil, and uh, I, I went down to Maryland, and I, I shot a 14-hour wedding um, with my team, and it was actually a really, really great experience, and I'm, I'm glad I did, because a couple had a couple crises happen on their wedding day that I'm like, no one else could have handled this. Uh, the father had a, a loss in oxygen and couldn't be at the wedding. And the mom got heat stroke and started throwing up and almost passed out. So it was just like, I was like, you guys need to hold together. Cause like, I can't, like I'm holding it together as best I can. So yeah, I, I was, you know, I worked out with my team. I, I knew pretty much everyone. I, I organized the whole day. So I was like, if there's one wedding I want to do with a broken spine, it's this one. And I shot that and it was like a 14 hour day and I was just, fried at the end of it i was like there's not enough advil in the world to to get me feeling good right now uh and they'd given me a prescription for oxy but i i 
didn't even fill it. I was like, I don't want to mess around with this stuff because I'm yeah. well aware of the addictive properties of those things. And I was yeah. like, yeah. So basically, my besides the fentanyl they gave me and the one other dose of a different painkiller, I did the entire ordeal on, you know, over the counter Tylenol. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I want to let me wrap up with this question. If let's let's say um, this was all just predetermined that this was going to happen, but for some reason you didn't start to prioritize your fitness back in January. How do you think that yeah. it would have played out differently? Well, it would have been a lot less stressful because I would have held it in the tree for about 10 seconds and then just fallen to my death because <laughs> uh, I would not have had the strength to do it. I mean, I, I think I, I said that to you in my message, you know, from the hospital bed on the ICU Friday night. I was like, you know, I, I can't, stress enough i feel like in this day and age people you know so many you know tiktok influencers and and you know f young fitness influencers who are either not natty or photoshop their pictures like it's a super there's the ability to have super unrealistic and unhealthy body standards which is something i loved mm -hmm. about our coaching is like you're like you're like, who would you like to look like? And I'd said, and you're like, all right, you know, that'll be like a five year journey, not like a four month thing. Um, and I think people prioritize like looking skinny or like looking low fat or looking cut or whatever it might be over health and functionality. And that's going to look different for different people. I mean, like there's some insane power lifters. Uh, like there's that, I forget her name. There's that woman who like deadlifts like almost 700 pounds. Uh, and people want to look at her and be like, oh, she's not, you know, fit because she's got a high body fat percentage. I'm like, yeah, but look at her strength mass. Like, you know, so people like think of skinny as the ideal to work towards. And I think it's really important to like work towards, you know, strength and functionality for what you want to do and the lifestyle you want. Uh, because I didn't start training with you to say, hey, you know, if I get in a life threatening situation, I want to be able to handle it well. Um, right. But I, you know, I did and I was training for strength. I wasn't training for, you know, skinniness or any of the, these beauty standards that kind of get shoved in our face. And, you know, like, you know, when we trained, I, I had cake, I had, you know, a huge 4th of July barbecue, I would drink, you know, we literally built drinking into my meal plan, which makes it sound like I drink a lot. I don't, but like, you know, the point I'm trying to make is it was sustainable. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. a starvation diet. It wasn't anything radical. And that's why I was able to stick with it for, you know, eight months before my accident. And I think that consistency, that discipline was really pivotal in me not dying during my accident. And also having the, the discipline to do what I did. I, you know, you guys are great. I still don't think uh, it's a 100% it's a of you thing that, you know, saved me in the tree, the discipline. Because my siblings were like, uh, yeah, I would have just not had the thought process do anything you've done. Like I would have just gotten afraid and locked up. So, uh, everyone keeps telling me like, Oh, like you were so aware and you're so, and I was like, well, I mean, maybe it's a me thing and maybe I'm just great at that. But like, I feel like anyone in a life or death situation is going to just kick in, you know, like you hear the stories mm -hmm. about like a mom lifting a car off her baby or whatever. Like, yeah. They don't plan for that. It's not like they're training for that, walking around like hauling cars. Like you just you get <laughs> right. between a rock and a and a hard place or a, a tree in a hard place rather, and you, know, you just kind of see where the cards fall. So adrenaline you, you is definitely a helped me get all drug. the tools tools I needed. Yeah. And I think you've proved to yourself over time like that you're you're capable of doing hard things and you demonstrated it, you know, on that day, man. I feel like we're just 
grateful to be having this conversation. Oh, I definitely am. And yeah, so now, you know, two and a half months post-accident, I'm actually going to head to the gym today for the first time since August 18th. And uh, I leave tomorrow night and I'm going to go do a half marathon in Disney this weekend. So I can't run because the doctor says... The, the running impact will be bad for my back, but I'm going to power walk yeah. it. So that's you know, awesome, man. Well, two let months us know how you do. Breaking spine, doing 13 miles. <laughs> that's awesome. Throw your digital barbell t-shirt on. Oh yeah, I will. Yeah. I got it in my bag. I got all three color variants. <laughs> <laughs> man, well, I really appreciate your time. Thanks awesome. for carving out uh, some time out of your schedule to tell the story. I hope it inspires people to take steps for their health today, knowing that um, every day is precious because you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. But what you do today, and what yeah, you do certainly. tomorrow, really sets you set yourself up for success for those unexpected things. So thanks again, Clayton. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. But real quick, before we go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell for all of the latest and greatest free content. If you're interested in working with Blakely and I, we'd love to talk. Apply for coaching with the link in the description of this episode or by visiting digitalbarbell.com. We'd love to talk about helping you reach your goals with a training and nutrition program built just for you. Thanks again and have a great day.